When I come into the hall at this time to offer some reflections, I really enjoy just taking a few moments to bow down to the Buddha, to engage in a kind of traditional practice that has been followed for hundreds and hundreds of years, to just express a sense of appreciation that I genuinely feel to the teacher and the teachings that came from him and the awakened beings who have carried those teachings through the generations so that they're available here to receive, that I have received them and that they can be shared. You might have spotted this afternoon that things didn't quite go as we said they would. We had a plan. It wasn't going to quite work, so we tried another plan. That didn't quite happen either. If you're wondering if you missed something, no, it just didn't happen. It will happen, but just not right now. And so there will be a guided meditation this evening. I left a note for Leela with the plan, but uh, turns out it wasn't legible. <laughs> I wrote it without my glasses. She didn't have hers to read it. I'm not sure who's that, who has to own that, but I'm just going to leave it sitting in the middle. Um, we can both own it, perhaps. And what we wanted to let you know about, we'll talk about tomorrow. It's we, enough information for today. Um, but what I'd like to reflect on this evening is one of the really fundamental teachings of the Buddha. And I like to entitle this particular reflection what it means to live in rental accommodation. It's a fundamental area of reflection that the Buddha invited us to engage in, to look at the way things that appear and arise change. That the way things are at this moment is not how they will be in the next. And the Buddha talked about this as the elephant's footprint. I rather love as an image the elephant's footprint because it is the footprint of the elephant which can encompass the footprint of any other creature. And this teaching, all that arises is subject to passing. This truth of impermanence and change, this encompasses and dominates the world of things that arise. And this human existence, in some ways it's kind of like living in rental accommodation. When I was young and recently together with my partner, we came to live here in Devon after being, we were 
overseas at another retreat center in America. And we didn't have any money and uh, sort of just serving and teaching retreats and such things, had very little resources and some people very kindly organized a place for us to stay where we didn't have to pay. And it was really good. It was in a wing of a great big mansion. We had to kind of keep an eye on the old man who lived there. He didn't want anyone keeping an eye on him, so it wasn't a big job. But it kind of made some people feel better that we were there. And it made us feel good because we had somewhere to stay. And about a year after, these folk kindly asked us if we'd like to come and live in this wing of the mansion. They asked us if we'd kindly like to leave. And what can you do? We, we moved from one place to another and then some friends of ours were buying a house and they had a lot more money than we did so we were very happy. They said, oh, we'd like to live together with others in community. Is it great? Yeah. And we moved in with them and we lived together and it was not without its challenges as community can be but we were there in this lovely house that they had and after a year or so they asked us to leave to move out and it's like okay Hmm, try not to take it personally of course but this life is not so different it's like we have temporary accommodation and an unpredictable landlord we don't know when the rental term will be up we just know that it's not forever this heart, mind, body that we explore, that we inhabit, that we practice with, is here for now. But not forever. And this contemplation is something the Buddha invited us to engage with in a skillful way. Everything that is mine, beloved and dear to me, that I will be parted from. And we kind of know this, but there's something about really turning towards it. That we ourselves and others we know and care for will die, will depart, will move on in one way or another. And there's something important about acknowledging the sorrow, the grief, the the tenderness of that. But so often we don't really quite acknowledge this reality unless it's kind of really happening already or it's we're in the midst of it and yet interestingly for the Buddha himself in his life he was moved to engage in his dedicated spiritual quest and journey over many years with a reflection that came out of this recognizing he said you know I see what's happening here and recognizing that things were not forever he said why should I who am not forever subject to birth and death why should I spend my life pursuing things which are also subject to birth and death would it not make more sense that I who am subject to birth and death might seek to discover to understand that which is not subject to birth and death. 
And this is what led him to leave the comfort of his castle, or sort of royal home as it's described, not probably literally a castle. To go out into the world. And I often reflect on this. It's like, yeah, we know about that. Changes all around us. The weather gets hot, gets cold, it's sunny, it's raining. But do we live in accordance with that knowledge? Some years ago I was coming to teach a, a week retreat here in summer and we'd had this really hot weather. And I remember being really worried as I was packing my bags and getting my clothes. I don't have enough kind of lightweight clothes for looking reasonably tidy, which I endeavour to do, at least when I'm sort of sitting at the front here, um, to be able to get through a whole week of sunny weather. Well, how am I going to do that? And so I eventually found the things I thought would be okay, packed my bag, came along, and on day three or four, the weather changed. It was no longer sunny, it was cold, it rained, it got really cold. I went back into my bag, and I hadn't brought a sweater or a jumper or a jersey, depending which country you come from. That's the same thing. It's a jumper here, isn't it? It's a sweater in America, it's a jersey in New Zealand. I hadn't brought one. It doesn't matter what you call it. And it's like, how could I have not brought a warm thing coming away for a week in England? And there's the sense of that kind of, wow, I really somehow believed, despite the fact that I talk about this all the time, I really believed on the basis of quite an extended period of warm, sunny weather that somehow that was going to continue all of the next week. And of course, it didn't. So one of the things that the Buddha asked us to look at and give consideration to was the way in which we misperceive what's going on here. The way in which we see that which is not permanent, which is changing, that we perceive to be fixed or permanent or unchanging. It's like that, that process where when we're practicing in meditation and we have a few moments of good practice and I think I might have described that scenario of the fantasy of where that goes if it stays like this we just project into the future or we're having a hard time and it feels impossible because we imagine it will always be this way notice when we're describing our experience with the language that says always or never it's always like this. It's never like this. It's easy for us to not see the way our mind tends to create an appearance of continuity that doesn't stand up to careful examination. One of the things that happens sometimes when we come and it feels like, whoa, it's, it's a long retreat, you know, it's for... You know, it's taking ages and ages and, you know, it's still the first day. <laughs> and then somehow, strangely, curiously, mysteriously, we find we're settling in. It's sort of starting to flow. It's smooth and it's like, 
oh wow, yeah. And then it's almost like we start to imagine this is how it will be from now. It's like, oh yeah, I don't need to sort of give myself to this too much. It's just sort of flowing along. And we kind of can get a bit casual sometimes, as if we have forever. So oh yeah, these fortunate conditions of the retreat. They're just for now. Today, this afternoon, for one member of our community, he got into a place where it seemed the wisest thing was to end the retreat. And so his situation changed, and it was his choice. And his friend, who he travelled with, thought, well, I'll go with him to make sure he's okay. And so his situation changed too. And it's like, oh, things suddenly shift from one thing to another. And we might notice, oh, there's an empty cushion or an empty mat. Yeah, someone's situation changed and they're okay. But they're not here anymore. And we can feel that that kind of brings a slight sort of edge to things, if we kind of really let that in. What is it to live our life as if we know that however it shows up or is showing up right now, it's not guaranteed for the future? The French philosopher Gaillard, he, he said, if we know but do not act accordingly, then we know imperfectly. Because none of us would stand up and say, things never change, things always stay the same. We know that's not true, but do we live in accordance with that? The process of growing in insight and wisdom and understanding is a transformative process of correcting misperception and misunderstanding. A movement from an unawareness of how things are to a wisdom that recognises how they are. And the misperception arises because we haven't looked that carefully often at what's happening. And I've thought about this often because it's, it's sometimes a little bit shocking to see how one gets caught in that illusion of continuity. Like the story with my, you know, suitcase lacking a, a jumper. And I kind of see it like this. It's as if we're driving in a car on a long straight road. And if you've ever done that, imagine you have at some point, if you look out the front window, the windscreen, at the horizon, it's not really doing much on a long straight road. It kind of stays the same, even though you might be hurtling towards it at you know, 70 miles an hour, 110 kilometres an hour. And if you look out the back window, on a long straight road, the same. There's not much happening kind of stays the same out there at the horizon. I don't suggest you do that while you're driving, you know. But 
And then if you look out the side window, while you're going along at open road speed, it's moving so fast it's a blur, you can't see it. It's changing that quickly, we can't register it. And in much of our life, what we're actually doing is we're orienting and relating to the past and the future. It's like we're looking out the back windscreen at these images and fragments of history, which we say, that's what happened, that's my past. Now, it's not. It's a few pieces. I'm not saying they aren't authentic or significant, because they certainly can be. But it's not the whole thing. It would take as long as it took to have your life to remember the whole thing which we don't do we just get a snapshot flash picture image impression or two or three that's what we call the past and it's not changing and then we in a sense imagine some variation of it either the same or different that we call the future and the future is only ever arising as a sense of what is the same as or different than what we've experienced before. There's nothing else we can imagine. Do you follow that? That's the future. And as long as we're looking out there, that's also quite a fixed, because it's based on something else that's fixed. When we come into practice, what we start to pay attention to is the immediate, immediacy of our experience. And we start to notice that it's changing, that it's fluid, that it's not fixed even for a moment. And that's kind of like looking out the side of the car, at where one actually is, and to realise how fast things are changing. So part of what's slowing down, paying attention in the way we're invited to do here, what that does is it allows us to see at a kind of a, a human relatable speed that our sensor equipment is organised to be able to handle. Oh well, look, there's this, there's a breath, and there's another breath, and this breath is actually different than that breath. And likewise, each step, each sound, each moment of experience is dissolving into the next one. And this experience of being alive that has this, at one level, immense complexity and multiplicity in another way, it's just a singular process of experiences arriving and dissolving. Sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch and thoughts and image. And that's it. There isn't anything else, is it? Sights, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts and images. There isn't something else that we experience. And all of these things arise, can be known if we're awake and present and conscious, dissolve and disappear in the next moment. And where have they gone? Like, where is the body that you had when you were 10 years old? Where is the body that you will have 20 years from now? If we're still here. It's probably going to be quite different than the one we have now. And yet we kind of have the sense of continuity of it. And that's our body which actually changes quite slowly. You know, the Buddha said, it's really good to pay attention to your body because at least it's changing slowly. Look at our minds, how quickly they're moving. 
I mean, how many thoughts did you have today? Did anyone keep count? And where are they? Where are they? Some of them felt so important, didn't they? They really had something to say that was significant, and maybe it was. But where are they? They're gone. And all the thoughts you're going to have tomorrow? Yeah, I'm afraid so. It's highly likely you're going to have a whole bunch more thoughts tomorrow. I mean, it might be you attain a meditative state in which thinking stops. (laughs) But that's mostly not what happens for human beings. So there will be. And yet, do they exist already? No. They emerge out of the conditions and they dissolve back into them one after another. To notice what happens for us when we contemplate this. There's something we can find occasionally amusing, but also at the same time challenging and yet curiously, I would say, reassuring. Because we kind of know what's true here, but we're not always in touch with that. And of course, it's not that we're suggesting or the Buddha's teaching saying that's all bad news, you know, impermanence, gosh, that's tough, you know, things you like are going to disappear, people you are fond of, will you'll be parted from them. I mean, imagine if everybody you'd ever come to a house on retreat was still in the room. Hundreds and thousands of people, it would be a bit crowded. And we might notice that of course, contemplating impermanence starts to sound really really useful in relationship to that which we struggle with. When experiences are difficult for us, often what's really difficult is the sense that it will continue like this. Because when it's difficult, we might feel like, I can't handle it, I can't meet it. And there are circumstances where it's really right and important to say, actually, I need to step back, give it space, turn to something else, get support sometimes. Absolutely. But often, in fact, that sense of I don't want or I can't meet this experience is not born of the sense of the experience itself. Because we're actually already meeting it. It's here, we're here. It's happening. It's the sense of this will continue to happen and I can't somehow handle or bear that prospect. It's the projection into the future that makes it often something that we end up pulling away from. And to contemplate, to know, ah, this too will change. Maybe not quite when you want it to because it's not like that. Oh, it'll, you know, come on, change. Sore knee, time to change. (sighs) Busy mind, time to change. No, it's not like that, but it's more, but it will. Ah, okay. And there's a way we can soften in relationship to, relax the pressure that we place upon the experience, understanding that it's not forever. And there's also a way in which we see that that changing nature of things is part of what 
reveals a real sense of beauty in life. Have you ever gone into a restaurant and been fooled for a little while or longer than a little while by those amazing plastic flowers they make? I mean, they're amazing. Sometimes they even put some scent on them. But the thing that in the end, we can't with our eyes quite see it, but we can feel there's something not right here, even if it's a perfect image, because there's nothing about it that's dying. They never put brown curled up leaves and a couple of sort of, sort of wrinkled petals on those plastic flowers. They're always just perfect. but they're lifeless and they're not beautiful and some, you know, if you've ever stood in front of a sunset and it can be so touching, so beautiful so, but part of that is that it just keeps slowly shifting and shifting and shifting and if it didn't, imagine if it stayed that bright gorgeous colour that you love how many minutes would you manage to look at that if it didn't change before you go, oh, well, that's nice, but, you know, <laughs> what's for tea? But the fact that it keeps changing, we keep getting drawn, called into, there's something about that which is changing that speaks to us. And that very sense of preciousness that we've talked about and reflected on, it's connected with the the non-permanence of things. When my partner I, Catherine, when we got married many, many years ago now, we were very into our sort of Buddhist contemplation and so we opened our ceremony with my wife, uh, Catherine, singing a refrain that came from an Aztec prayer that essentially went... Only for a short time, life has loaned us to each other. And most of our friends and all of her family were really quite mystified. <laughs> Why are you focusing on that? And yet for us, it was like, yeah, absolutely. There's a preciousness that comes from it. Not, we see that. And, you know, in a, another, another place where, which always touches me, when I go to um, the monastery, uh, of one of my teachers in, in, in Sussex, the Chittas Buddhist monastery, or Chitta Viveka, the, the, the monastery of the uh, secluded heart, we could say, in Chittas. There's this little plaque that's been there a long time. It used to be just the only, now there's quite a few little plaques in this place. And what it says on it is a poem. It's probably a haiku, but I'm not sure. It's got the poet's name. And the poem goes, The cherry blossoms cover the hillside for but a few days. Any longer, and we would not treasure them so. Then underneath that, it says, Little Sam. And there's a date, a single date. And it's always spoke to me so powerfully and tenderly and beautifully of the preciousness of the life being remembered. Little Sam, who I'm guessing lived just for a day. But was not less precious for it, perhaps more so to those who loved him. And so acknowledging this truth, allowing us to be impacted by it, 
is to feel the preciousness of things because we won't take them for granted. And not waiting till it's become clear that that's about what's going to happen. We, like when, we, when something is about to disappear. We feel that. We know that. But what is it to know that? And let that touch us all the way through our journey with places and people and things and our very existence. To feel the preciousness of it. Which is, as I say, woven together with that impermanence. One of the other things that's really helpful about this, con- this contemplation is understanding how we relate to things with the sense of that if I own it, if it's mine, if I've got it permanently, then mostly I think about wanting to improve it. Have you noticed that with things that you have or own? Yourself, your body, your mind, your meditation, your home. When we moved in with our friends in that story I told you about at the beginning, what was really interesting, we moved into this lovely house. And it was like, oh, that's nice. And our friends were, that's nice. And we can do this and we'll fix that and we'll improve and add one of those. When we understand that we're just here for a while, somehow it's so much easier to just appreciate what is blessed about our circumstance and make room for what is not as we would wish it to be. Because we know it's not forever. This body, these minds, the thoughts and feelings that pass through them. How would it be if we were to contemplate something them as something we're just borrowing for a while? They've just come together for now. And of course, we need to take care for now of what has come together. But in that sense, it's borrowed. How might we hold it differently, this life, this experience? We see it's something borrowed that one day will be given back. Maybe sooner, maybe later. In recognizing transience and permanence change, we can allow this to inform our relationship to experience. In One of the later teachings of the Buddha, the Diamond Sutra, it said, in this way you should look upon this world. A drop of dew, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a mirage, a phantom and a dream. It's not saying it is that, but that sense of kind of evanescence, of flickering, changing, dissolving experience, out of which the sense of the world arises. What would it be to inform our relationship to all of this with the wisdom of understanding impermanence? So one element of that would be 
that we would see that that which we might try and take hold of, it doesn't make sense to try and hold on to something because its nature is to, to move. We can let go when we understand that things move on. They're not meant to be forever. But equally, when we encounter the difficult or the challenging, we can let it be. We don't have to try and get rid of it so quickly because we understand it will change by itself. It too will become different. And that doesn't mean we stand apart from the experience. But in fact, it allows us to come much closer, to be intimate with what is happening. As William Blake wrote, he said, he said he, but I'm going to say he, she, they, the person. The person who binds themselves to a joy does the winged life destroy. But the person who kisses the joy as it flies lives on in eternity sunrise. When we take hold of experience, we somehow squeeze the aliveness out of it. And part of that aliveness is its fluidity. But when we just make intimate contact with it, it has the possibility of showing us something. Revealing us, revealing to us something that Blake is calling eternity's sunrise, the dawn of the timeless. And as we as we make contact more deeply with our experience in this way, when we're not trying to hold on to or get hold of and keep or reproduce experience, when we're not trying to restrict, remove or get rid of experience, but we're just allowing it to touch us, it shows us something remarkable. Khalil Gibran and the prophet, he says, if you could keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracle of your life, your sorrow would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you'd, you would accept the seasons of your heart just as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your land. And you would watch with equanimity through the winter of your grief. The seasons of our heart. Of course we love to live in summer all the time and the buoyant luxury and fruition 
sweet and beautiful things. But summer inevitably fades into autumn, into fall, and dies back into winter. And yet winter equally, inevitably, gives rise to the new life that is born in spring and flourishes into summer. And this is the nature of our journey and our life and our process. And as we allow ourselves to come closer to it, that sense of something remarkable starts to remarkably ordinary, not looking for something, not talking about something extraordinary or outside of what is ordinary, but where we haven't quite been able to see how remarkable it is that it's happening at all. And it keeps happening for as long as it keeps happening until it stops and how actually amazing that is understanding the truth of impermanence invites and encourages us to recognize that we can't get permanent fulfillment from experiences because they are changing they can delight us, they can, we can learn from them, they can challenge us and change us. But we can't make a permanent home in things that are changing. And at the same time, of course, it means that there are no conditions or things or experience that in and of themselves can be a permanent obstacle to the finding of our home, to the deepening of our life. Things that change are not the solution, but neither are they the problem, no matter what they might be. We're asked to look deeper. What we might discover when we don't hold on to or resist the flow of life. When we stay present, when we are intimate with, touched by, and yet not imposing our preference, our demands upon this experience. The Buddha said, in his teaching that there is that which is unborn, unbecome, unmade and undying. And because there is that which is unborn, unmade, unbecome and undying, there is this path and possibility of liberation in the very midst of that which is born and made and become and dying.
what might he have been pointing to? In my early years of practice, I was very fortunate to be able to travel to Asia and to India on many occasions and attend retreats at a, a monastery in Budgaya, which is the little village in northern India where the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree and awoke. And in the monastery where these retreats were taking place, one of the things I delighted in incredibly was the, the creatures who would also inhabit the monastery and so there was these you know humans doing meditation retreat mostly uh, Europeans and a few also from from Asia and then all these creatures and on this particular occasion I was just loving the puppies there's like, like you have all sorts of, it's like a retirement home for old people. So you have a lot of old sort of uh, Thai folk can end up sometimes at the monastery, but also goats and chickens and dogs and puppies. And they just somehow end up there. And it's a bit of a sanctuary. So it's, it's really lovely and cats and all of that. But the puppies somehow were just, I was just loving them. And they would come running up to you when you were having your lunch and see if you needed any help with that, you know. <laughs> particularly the sort of the thing you were most enjoying. Or, or in doing slow walking meditations, they'd come up and lick you just to see if you were really unbalanced and attentive or just trying to look good, you know. And some point during the retreat, I'd been there the year before and loved the puppies as well. And at some point during the retreat, it struck me. I'd been imagining they were the same puppies. And it was like a thunderbolt. They're not the same puppies. It's obvious, isn't it? No one here would have been fooled. But it was like the sense of what it was that was happening in relationship to those beings. Something was the same. And I was both mildly embarrassed but also somehow delighted by what was in the sense because it was as if what was being shown to me was that yeah puppies come and go but puppy nature it's unchanging it is the same what it was that was being revealed but we mistake what is shown to us for the forms through which it is shown Not just puppies. Not just puppies partake of this. So we're invited to be here wholeheartedly, fully to give ourselves completely to this receiving and meeting our lives and each moment as fully as we are able 
not just because this is for the well-being of our heart and our mind and our body and our world. And it is for the well-being of all of that. But also and equally because in and through that intimate, open-hearted encounter, we can come to discover and know what it is that the Buddha discovered and knew and shared with people like us who were interested in his time and which has been shared and passed down and continues to be lived today. To see that this which appears and arises has its significance, has its importance. We need to learn how to handle it well. And there comes a point and a time in our journey where we also just let it go. This fluid, changing heart, mind, body, world. When we don't take hold of anything, when we don't push away anything, quite naturally the the weightiness, the gravitas of what it is that we are sinks below the surface <coughs> of appearances, of forms, of things that come and go. Into the deeper dimensions of what we can discover as human beings. The awakened nature of life is just here, is just this. It's not of what we encounter, but nor is it apart from it. And it's this that we are invited to discover in our practice and our lives. So let's just sit quietly together for a few moments.
So may we all, in our practice here together, and in our lives, may we come to recognize more deeply the changing nature of things, and to realize more deeply the truth that is unchanging. for our own well-being, for the welfare of all beings, and the well-being of all that is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.